question is, what goes wrong if there are two states with the same energy? Uh, actual student answer, the perturbed wave functions can't be estimated due to the denominator being En minus Em equal to zero when En equals Em. So you need to do, use degenerate perturbation theory. Uh, why does Griffith say that perturbation theory produces notoriously bad wave functions? Why is the estimate so accurate for the energy but not the wave functions? Uh, related question, how good are these first order approximations? And there was another one. I thought. So. There's no chalk. So, if I have a wave function that looks like this, and then perturbation theory gives me a wave function that looks like this, you might think that that's a pretty good wave function. But you could also say out here, if these are different exponentials, out on the tail, this could be off by orders of magnitude. So that's notoriously bad. It's off by orders of magnitude, but qualitatively, pretty darn good. So it depends on the problem, how bad the wave functions are. It depends on what information you want. If you want the information here where most of the wave function is concentrated, the wave function could give you pretty much the right shape. But out here on the tails, it could be completely wrong. Yeah? Well, can you take your estimates to be better in certain ways? Like, you know, like this estimate's obviously bad at the tails. Could you make an estimate that's maybe better at the tails when we're still on the inside? Well, if you're just using perturbation theory, then all you can do is go to higher orders. Go to the next order, and the next order, and the next order. Maybe skip levels. Can't do that. Um, what you could do is try to solve uh, the wave function exactly out in this region, so you know approximately the form of the wave function out here. So. Another way of saying it is when you estimate the energy, the energy is one number. When you estimate the wave function, this is an infinite number of numbers. So there's an infinite number of ways that the wave function can mess up. So it's not going to be as good as when you calculate the energy. So how good are these first order approximations? It depends on uh, the actual perturbation and the problem. So you could think of a classical analog. So say I blindfolded you and let you randomly walk through this room bouncing off the walls. Well, let's make it a billiard ball, not get personal. So we have a billiard table with a post. We put a post in the middle. So classically, given the initial uh, position and velocity, we could calculate the trajectory. Now we put a post down in the middle of the billiard table. So it'll, the billiard ball will go along and eventually it'll hit the post and bounce off. So the first time it bounces off, that means that's like the first order in perturbation theory. Perturbation has changed the solution. And then it will keep going and eventually it will hit it again. So to, to account for that trajectory, you need second order in perturbation theory. Now, if the post is very thin, then it can go for a long time before it hits the post. So the first order perturbation theory will be more accurate for a longer time, at least. But if I make the post very big, then it'll be a very short time before perturbation theory, uh, first order perturbation theory breaks down. 
So this calculating the orders of the perturbation theory, this parameter lambda that he puts in, that's just to count the orders in the perturbation, like how many times it bounced off the post. It doesn't tell you how likely it is to bounce off the post. That depends on the size of the post, which is your perturbation Hamiltonian. So if I have a square well, and I put a little bump in it like that, then perturbation theory might be a good approximation. But if I put a big bump like that, then I'll have to go to many orders in perturbation theory to solve it. So it depends on the details of the Hamiltonian that you're perturbing with. I thought it was interesting you can divide by zero and still end up getting something that's useful as opposed to infinity. Well, actually, you can't. You can't divide by zero because we're assuming the energies are different. If they are not different, then it doesn't work. I'm confused why we're talking about non-degenerate perturbation theory if we can't have two unperturbed states share the same energy. Does the non-degenerate perturbation theory actually make sense in some cases, or is it just an introduction to why we must use degenerate perturbation theory? So we've talked several times about finding degeneracies about energy levels. This is another reason why we need to know whether energy levels are degenerate. So when we solve the problem, if there's degenerate levels, then we have to use degenerate perturbation theory if there's a perturbation. If the levels are different, then we can use non-degenerate perturbation theory. So first you have to know, are there degeneracies, and then apply the appropriate perturbation theory. Uh, it's interesting to see perturbations included now, since this is a more realistic scenario, although very rarely in reality do we see a constant perturbation in a square well. So how are these same ideas applied in a much more realistic and applicable scenario? So we're going to later get to some very detailed real-world examples of perturbations in atoms. So just wait. And equation 613 is psi superscript 1 subscript n, a projection of psi superscript 0 subscript m. No. So the 1 means that this is the first order uh, perturbation correction to the wave function. 0 means it's the zeroth approximation. So this wave function is just the solution without the perturbation at all. This includes the first order correction to the wave function. And then the n correspond to the energy levels, quantum numbers. Uh, so how do we know the fit is notoriously poor? Well, I guess by word of mouth. <laughs> because a bunch of people calculated a bunch of times and they said, well, it's really poor in some places. Uh, Griffiths gives two explanations why we're not including the m equals n term in the expansion. Could you offer a third? <laughs> What's wrong with the, those two? So, yes. um, the first reason is that including that term doesn't change the equation, so why bother? The second answer is to this order in perturbation theory, uh, there, you don't need a correction to the un, to the n equals n case, because it turns out it's just, when you normalize the wave function, it'll turn out to be 1. The coefficient of the unperturbed guy will be 1 anyway. You have to go to second order perturbation theory to include the corrections in that normalization. So another way of saying that is what we're doing with the perturbation, is by putting in this perturbation, we mix up the wave functions. We add a little bit of other wave functions to the wave function we had. So we're mixing 
solutions of different energy levels into this guy. And to see that you change the normalization of the unperturbed guy, you need to bounce off the post twice to see that it changes the probability to be in that unperturbed wave function. I was wondering if we can, in principle, use perturbation theory to get arbitrarily <coughs> accurate approximations by including more and more correction terms in the eigenfunction, or is there some sort of limit? So again, it depends on the Hamiltonian or the problem that you're studying. In some cases, you can just keep going on and on and on. In some cases, people have gone to 40-second order in perturbation theory. They need a computer to do that. But in other cases, uh, so that means that the perturbation series is convergent mathematically. But sometimes it's not a convergent series. Sometimes it's what's called an asymptotic series. That means the terms get smaller and smaller and smaller. Then they start getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So as long as the terms are getting smaller, you're getting a better approximation. Once the terms start getting bigger, your approximation is getting worse. So you have to stop when the terms turn over. Yeah? I was just wondering, uh, when you say that you can write it out as a power series, so like, can you actually get the exact form of the solution in certain cases for perturbed results as a power First, series? Yeah. Well, yeah. Yes. We'll do it. We'll do some examples where you can see you can get, well, we're not going to go beyond second order, but in principle, yes. Um, when, are, when we're combining second order terms on page 251, why wouldn't we include the lower terms? It would seem to give a more accurate approximation. So again, when we get to, say, psi 2, the second order correction to the wave function, <coughs> We're only including terms in psi 2 that are, have the perturbation twice because we've already included the first order perturbations in psi 1. So it's not that we're throwing them away, it's that we've already counted for those and now we're getting the next order correction. How complicated can a perturbation be while still being first order? Well, it can be arbitrarily complicated. As long as you've solved the unperturbed problem, that's the harder part. If you can solve the unperturbed problem, then you can put in any crazy Hamiltonian you want and calculate the expectation value and get the first order correction to the energy. Um, it's not, it doesn't matter how complicated it is. What matters is, is it a big correction or a small correction? If it's a big correction, then probably first order approximation is not a good approximation to the true eigenvalue or the true energy level. It's a small correction, then it didn't matter that it was complicated to calculate. It's just a small correction, so the perturbation theory is probably good. Okay. So we're doing time independent, non degenerate. Perturbation theory. So next week we're going to do degenerate perturbation theory, not well, for degenerate energy levels, not for degenerates. And then in a month or so we're going to ha ha ha, lame. Uh, a month or so we'll get to do time-dependent perturbations. So then we can understand lasers and such fancy things. So the idea is that we have a Hamiltonian. And we divide it up into a piece that's easy to solve and a piece that's hard to solve.
and this lambda isn't really there. It's just a counting parameter. So we insert lambda, which is equal to 1, multiplying the perturbation term, the term we don't know how to handle. At least, we don't know how to handle exactly. So what we want is the solution of the Hamiltonian on some eigenstate gives us its energy level times that wave function. What we have is just this H0 acting on its eigenstates, giving us the unperturbed energies. And because these these psi zeros are the exact solutions of this Hamiltonian H0. We know that they're orthonormal wave functions. So if they're the same wave function, their overlap is 1. If they're different energy levels, their overlap is 0. And we know that because there's no states with this, there's a unique state with each energy because we're doing non-degenerate. So the idea is we'll count how many times we bounce off the perturbation. And we'll use lambda to keep track of how many times we've taken that into account. So we'll write the exact wave function as formerly a power series in lambda. But secretly, it's not a power series in lambda because lambda is 1. It's a power series in how many times we've accounted for the perturbation. So lambda is keeping track of how many times we've accounted for that bump. And then we'll write the energy the same way. There's the zeroth order term that we already know. Then there'll be an estimate, a correction, accounting for the perturbation once, accounting for the perturbation twice, and so on. Then we can just plug that into our Schrodinger equation. So there's only a first order term in the Hamiltonian, but in the wave function, there's a first order term, there's a second order term. And that should equal an energy eigenvalue which has the first zeroth order term we already know, and then some unknown first order, unknown second order. And that still has to multiply the wave function that we're looking for. So now we just have to multiply that all out. So there's H0 times Psi0, there's some terms with lambdas, so there's an EN0, oops, where am I, I'm copying from the wrong line, there's H0 on Psi N1, and there's H1 on Psi N0, and the second order term, there's H0 on Psi N2, and H1 on Psi N1. And that should equal 
the right hand side, zero with order term is en zero sine zero. First order term, there's an en zero psi n one and an en one psi n zero. And there's an en zero psi n two, en one psi n one. It's a hole in my paper, in the wrong spot. En two psi n zero, and on and on forever. So we're going to collect the terms with the same powers of lambda. So H0 psi N0 equals EN0 psi N0. That's the problem that we've already solved. We know the exact solution. And the first order corrections. Second order corrections. So once you get to second order, you see that on the right hand side, we're getting more and more terms. On the left-hand side, we'll always just have two terms. Now we can set lambda back to 1, because we don't care about it anymore. Because it was always 1 to start with. So is anyone upset about this? So first order equation I'll write it out one more time for fun. We can take an inner product with an arbitrary state. Well let's take it with the sign zero. So if we write it in terms of bras and kets, we put a psi n0 bra, so that's the unperturbed wave function for the nth energy level. And it's acting on both sides of this equation. So we're, we're going to write these wave functions as kets. So h0 is acting on psi n1. So h0 acting on psi n1 gives us some other wave function. Uh, we don't actually know what it is. But it's some wave function. So we can write it as a ket. And we have our perturbation acting on psi n0. That's some other wave function that we don't know. On the right-hand side, things are a little simpler. 
because the energy is just a number, so it comes out of the inner product. last term, you can see it, has a sign 0, sign 0. Well, that's just 1. And this guy over here, since H is a Hermitian operator, we can say that it's really the expectation value of H0. And since it's Hermitian, we can flip it so it acts on the bra instead of the ket. doesn't matter. That's what Hermitian means doesn't matter if we put it on the bra or the cat or in the middle. It's all the same. So we could write that as H0, psi N0, psi N1. And now magically we know what it, that is. Psi 0 is an eigenstate of H0. So that's EN0, psi N0, psi N1. And this guy is equal to 1. So that term is exactly the same as that term. So it doesn't matter that we don't know what this overlap is. We can cancel it out. And so we get an expression for the first order correction to the energy. It's the expectation value of the perturbation in the unperturbed state. is to say the expectation value of the perturbation energy in the unperturbed state. So it actually sort of makes sense. If you, if you had some operator like p to the fourth, momentum to the fourth, you would take its expectation value in that state. If you added p to the fourth to the Hamiltonian, you'd expect that the, the expectation value that you just calculated would be an estimate of what that correction to the energy levels are. It's not the full correction, but it's the leading order correction in perturbation theory. So Griffiths tells us that's the most important equation in quantum mechanics. I thought the Schrodinger equation was, but that it's <laughs> About the what? Oh yeah, that's the most important too. Okay, there's three most important equations. So now we also want to get the first order correction to the wave function. So we'll rewrite uh, our first order equation one more time by bringing uh, the zeroth order energy over to the left. And we'll bring the first order Hamiltonian over to the right. And then, because the, the unperturbed solutions are a complete set, a complete uh, orthonormal basis for our space of states, even though we don't know what psi n1 is, we can write it as an expansion 
over th this complete set. So these size zeros are a complete basis. So for the harmonic oscillator, they would be those Hermite polynomials. For hydrogen, they'd be Laguerre polynomials with exponentials plus the scattering solutions that we never calculated. But in principle, they're there. And we don't need the m equals n term. So if we added a psi n0 here, on the left-hand side it would just drop out anyway. So it's redundant information. And if you added it in and then went all the way through, what you'd find is that that coefficient is just fixed by the normalization. So that by having it, psi n, psi n0 is already included in the zeroth order approximation. So you don't gain anything by saying there's a piece in the first order approximation when you've already got it in the first, and you only need it when you get to second order. At that point, the normalization uh, can change. And we're never going to work out second order wave functions, because life is short. So. So because psi n0 doesn't contribute to the left-hand side, we'll restrict the sum, and it will make our life simpler. So if we plug this expansion into our equation, we know what h0 does on psi m0, gives us em0. Cm superscript n tells us which state it is, psi m0. Now we'll take another inner product. This time we'll use an arbitrary state, psi l. So on the left-hand side, over sum over m. And we have an overlap between psi L0 and psi M0. is equal to n, then, uh, so this thing vanishes unless l equals m, and if I choose l equal to n, that means m has to equal n, but then this vanishes. So the left-hand side is zero, and the right-hand side will get The expectation value of the perturbation Hamiltonian. And if L is equal to N, then this is just 1. 
this overlap, because those are normalized states. And that is just the equation we already had for the most important equation in quantum mechanics. So we already knew that. So let's take L not equal to N. Then on the left-hand side, this still tells us that M has to equal L, which in this case is N. So, sorry, this is equal to L, but it's not equal to N. So we'll have uh, EL minus EN. CL, superscript N. So now there's no sum, because we've picked out one term in the sum from this delta. And this term over here is zero, because L is not equal to N. So now we know what these coefficient, expansion coefficients are. And since L is not equal to N, we can divide by El minus En, and then the minus sign makes it En, and we set L equal to M again to plug back in our previous formula. So the first order correction to the wave function is the sum over M not equal to N, then it's got this overlap between two different states of the perturbation Hamiltonian. And here it's really important that we assume that these guys were non-degenerate. Otherwise, we get infinity. So what does this equation tell us? It tells us that by putting in this perturbation, we now mix in to our energy level some bits of other wave functions for the other energy levels. And the probability amplitude for that mixing depends on the perturbation Hamiltonian. So saying that have two, if I have two wave functions, I put in a perturbation that is large in this region where they overlap, then I'm going to get a bigger effect. If my perturbation is all over here where they don't overlap, then I'm going to get a small effect. So this tells us how much, how much the perturbation mixes the two levels based on this overlap. And that mixing gets enhanced if their energy levels are close. Which sort of makes sense from the uncertainty principle. If we're sort of mixing in this other piece with the wrong energy, uh, it should be easier if the energies are small. That means we could do it for a longer time.
we're going to do an example. So a delta function, perturbation, and an infinite square well. So the well will between for, will be for x between zero and a. Perturbation is some parameter alpha times a delta function, and we'll put it right in the middle of the well. And we've solved this I can't remember how many times, so we know the wave functions by heart. There's signs with some quantum number n pi a over x inside the argument. And so the first order correction to the energy is the most important equation in quantum mechanics. Take the expectation value of the perturbation. So each wave function will give us a root 2 over a. There's an alpha from the perturbation. And then we have to integrate from 0 to a. Wave function complex conjugated times the wave function times the perturbation, which is just a delta function. So it doesn't matter what the ordering is. Since it's a real wave function, you just get sine squared. It's the same wave function on both sides. So that's why it's squared. And uh, Perturbation was chosen because it's easy to integrate delta functions. Don't even need a table. So we get sine squared n pi over 2a. x has to be equal to a over 2. Sorry. n pi x, that's an a. and x has to be equal to a over 2, which is the same as sine squared of n pi over a, over 2. The a's cancel. The a's cancel. Get n pi over 2, finally. And so, that's 0 if n is even, and 2 alpha over a n is odd, which makes sense. So if I had, uh, for n odd, like n equals 1, the wave function has a maximum where the perturbation is. But the even guy vanishes where the perturbation is so it's not going to have any effect on it. Now we can work out the first order corrections to the wave functions. Let's just do it for the ground state.
so we need this overlap. So each wave function gives us a root 2 over a. It's an alpha from the perturbation. We get to integrate from 0 to a. And now we have sine k pi x over a delta x minus a over 2 sine pi x over a. So delta function sets x equal to a over 2. So sine of pi over 2 used to be 1, so it's sine k pi over 2. So if we, and we also need this denominator, e10 minus k0. So remember the energy levels are basically p squared over 2m, where the momentum is proportional to that quantum number times h bar over a and a pi. So for the ground state we get n equals 1. For the excited state we get n equals k, so we get k, 1 minus k squared. So we can write out what the first order correction to the wave function is. So because this energy denominator is a denominator, we get 1 over this factor out front. And then putting in the, each term in the series, we'll only get, this is only non-vanishing for odd k. So k will be 3, 5, 7. So it's odd and it can't be equal to 1. And uh, so we'll get a 1 minus 9 in the denominator for psi 3. The numerator alternates. So, everyone can imagine in their mind what that looks like while I try to get my computer working. <clears throat> wow. So this green line 
the unperturbed solution. And then we get two different wave functions depending on whether I make the perturbation positive or negative. So if I put in a positive value for the delta function, that means it costs more energy to sit on the delta function, so it's repulsive. So we get uh, this suppressed guy. But if I make it negative, then it likes to sit on top of there, so I get this enhanced guy. So it actually makes sense, I think. I don't think it doesn't make sense. Now, if we could just solve this equation exactly, that should be a good homework assignment. And we could compare the wave functions. So we have just enough time to do the second order energy levels. So if we look at the second order terms, there's only two terms on the left, but there's three possible ways to include it twice on the right. So these, we just have, these superscripts have to add up to two for the second order perturbations. So let's take an inner product with the sine zero. is 1. And play our same trick with this guy. We can bring that over because it's Hermitian. zero times that overlap. And that's exactly the same as that term. So they cancel. And we can play the same trick here. So that will give us an EN1 
I'm not crazy, right? This is canceling that term. Yeah. So we'll get. So we'll get EN2 is this is one and the piece that we have left I've got five minutes to read my notes. I'm very confused. Who's going to help me out here? Yeah, we need to solve for EM2. talking garbage. Uh, that's not the formula for EN1. So let's just solve for EN2 and do it properly. So EN2 has this on the right, on this side. Sin 1. And then we have to subtract this guy. Now, we can calculate this guy. because we know what the first order correction to the wave function is. It's got a sum m not equal to n. of cmn psi n 0 psi m 0. But here m has to be equal to n, but m has be not equal to m, so this thing is zero. So that leaves this guy. And we know the first order wave function, so we can plug in again. We have our sum of m not equal to n. <coughs> Cmn by n zero prime phi m0. And we know what these coefficients are. looks like that flipped around, which means it's the complex conjugate. 
So it's the modulus squared of that overlap that we saw before, divided by the energy difference. So one way to think about it is that uh, perturbation takes us from this state, bounces us up to that state, and it bounces us back to this state. <coughs> and so we get the product of those amplitudes, and again, enhanced if the energies are close. Is there any questions? So there's a review session at 3. Still hoping the grader is actually doing their job and grading your homework and <laughs> give it to me by then. Sam's on Monday, yeah? So, room 140 in the cross square? No, just down, hopefully down here, a couple of doors, there's a 140. That's what they tell me. I'm trusting them. Anything else? Okay, I'll see you at 3 or Monday, or both. <laughs>